everyone and welcome to episode 20 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna and I will be your host as always. Today's episode is titled Malcolm X Visits Birmingham and that is because that is exactly what he did in 1965. He visited Birmingham and you might be thinking why in the world would he do that? Um, If you were thinking that because you don't have high opinions of Birmingham then you're in the wrong place because there is no slander to be tolerated about Birmingham on this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, Malcolm X came to Birmingham because of the situation that was arising in Birmingham and the state of affairs that was happening on a particular street called Marshall Street, which we will be learning a little bit more about shortly. I thought I would introduce a theme for this month. This month is obviously February and it is Black History Month in the United States. And I often find... When we have um, Black History Month in England in October, we still focus a lot on the history of America. And so, you know, even though it's American Black History Month, I didn't want to just focus on American history. I know this podcast has kind of shaped itself into being specifically about Black British history, even though it's not. It didn't. I didn't intend for it to be that way. I intended for it to be about Black history more generally. Um, but I thought, you know, there are some really interesting moments in history where, you know, our black African-American greats, heroes have either come to England um, or our histories have intertwined or inspired each other. Um, the roots, I think, of black liberation movements with on a global level, they don't belong to any country. You know, they are in Africa, they are in the Caribbean, they are in the United States and they are in the UK. Um, And they pop up around, you know, Europe and Asia as well. It's not like this history is just in a vacuum. Um, I think it is Angela Davis who said, like, black liberation movements don't happen in a vacuum. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, I think it was Angela Davis. Um, And she's completely right. You know, these events don't happen as isolated incidents. We are inspired by each other. I know they didn't necessarily have the internet back then um, at the speed we do now. And, you know, information couldn't be sent so fast. But, you know, newspapers were a thing. Telephone calls were a thing. Speeches were broadcasted on TV or in newspapers across the world if they were relevant enough. And I think this is a clear case of these two histories kind of intertwining and so in February there's four Mondays there's literally like a perfect four-week calendar look for February this year um, as February the first starts on Monday so the next four episodes will all be about you know um, African-American history um, and black American history intertwining with black British history Um, we'll be all over the gaff in terms of dates Um, we won't just be focusing on the 60s because not everything happened in the 60s although a lot did happen Um, so yeah that is a very long introduction um, for this month but just to let you know or if you're listening to this like far in the future it's not 2021 anymore or I don't know it might be later in the year Um, you know if you listen to the, the four episodes that were posted in February 2021 they will all be about within that theme so just for some context you know if you were wondering so without further ado we will get into this episode I thought I'd start by giving some context about Marshall Street which is in Smethwick in Birmingham Um, it's not like inner city Birmingham Um, it's a little bit on the outskirts and it's going towards the black country Um, the black country is where you hear the really thick Brummie accent um, much thicker than you would in Birmingham. Um, a lot of people confuse the two. Um, they are quite not different accents. I think one's just a little bit stronger than the other. 
Um, and so, yeah, we're heading towards that area of Birmingham. And, you know, this is where this is where Malcolm X came. So first of all, I'll give you some context. Malcolm X came in 1965, but we're going to throw it back to 1964 to set the scene. So if you listen to this um, news report from, I think, around Christmas time in 1964, really help you understand what was going down in Smethwick. Marshall Street, this row of terrace cottages, then due east for 250 yards. It's here that Smethwick Council will decide whether to act by buying up Marshall Street houses that come on the market, then letting them to white families on the housing list. The Housing Committee Chairman is Councillor Gould. Where do you intend to put the coloured people who can't get houses in Marshall Street? Uh, well, that isn't our problem. That is the problem of the emigrant himself. But aren't you removing a free market? Surely you've got then to provide an alternative? Uh, no, not exactly. Uh, what we do think, that this road must not be completely taken over by immigrants. We think this would be segregation. And that is the last thing we want if we want the coloured people to settle down amongst the white residents of this road. Despite labour cries of colour bar, the Conservative Council's Marshall Plan is almost certain to go through. But will it bring the happy integration the Conservatives say they want? Okay, so as you heard there, the reporter was like detailing the situation on Marshall Street specifically. I find it interesting that it's like a, a problem on one specific street. Obviously, it wasn't just one street. Um, I'm sure this was happening up and down the country. Um, but this report is focusing on Marshall Street. Now, the issue in Marshall Street was that it was a very white area. Um, a lot of the homeowners on the road were white. And by a lot, I, I pretty much mean all. Um, and then slowly, as Commonwealth citizens from India and Jamaica started moving into Birmingham, they were obviously needing places to live. And as the populations of Commonwealth immigrants grew in areas such as Smethwick, white people got increasingly anxious, upset, angry, scared. I don't know what was wrong with them. Well, I do. They were racist. Um, they decided that they had had enough of the quote-unquote coloured invasion they didn't want as many um, people on their streets. Their idea, as we heard in the in the clip, was that if you have maybe the token black or Asian person on each street in each area, then they can integrate and assimilate better into white society and fit in, as opposed to having areas that might be majority black or Asian, which is what would happen, because obviously if you move to a new country where you know people are racist, you would move to a place where you can see a few people that look like you for support, for solidarity. But obviously for um, white people, that was a problem. Now I'm going to play you a clip. I know why I'm laughing. It's not even funny. I'm going to play you a clip of, of what some of the white people on Marshall Street and in the area of Smethwick thought about um, black people and Asian people that were moving onto their street. It's here that the whites have banded together and look as though they'll persuade the conservative controlled council to halt the coloured invasion to save Marshall Street, they say, from becoming a black ghetto. He describes how white residents had petitioned for a form of apartheid on a suburban street. They use the back gardens for toilets. They don't, I don't think they know what the toilets are for. Uh, she's lying, she's I'm just racist, that one. The white people are more... Does that hurt? More than the colored yeah? Does that hurt? It's difficult for 79-year-old Raphael to relive it. The hostile reception when he arrived in Smethwick from Jamaica back then. They thought maybe because you're, you're black, you're dirty, and it's so they ain't gonna sit beside you or whatever. 
So as you heard there, there were um, there was a white lady that was saying um, black people, Asian people don't know how to use the toilet, um, they use the toilet outside, um, things of that nature. There was always, always comments. Um, I think in London, there's definitely a clip from um, a white family in London saying how the food that black and Asian people were making smelt and they didn't think that they were clean. But then it's also very funny to me that in a lot of the Windrush um, narratives and interviews that I've read just in my research and in a book by Colin Grant called Homecoming, there's literally a section where a lot of the um, more now elderly um, black people from the Caribbean said how they were so shocked and appalled that there were no bathrooms inside the houses in Britain. Um, Toilets were outside. You'd go to public baths, like in the Caribbean, that would be absolutely unheard of. You had a bath twice a day where they were coming from um, in the Caribbean, you know, before you went out in the morning and when you came home, you know, to wash the day off. Um, And so this idea that in Britain, people were having a bath once a week and it was a big social event where you'd go out to the baths or you'd pull the bath in um, into your front room and everybody would get in the tub that was just completely unheard of um, to those to the people coming from the Caribbean. So I think it's very interesting here um, that these kind of two ideas are being played off each other. But I will say, um, you know, this um, white woman kind of complaining about the cleanliness of black people. Well, you're not living in, in a house with them. So why why would you know that, number one? And number two, why um, why are you so concerned? Um, the clip I just played, sorry, I didn't say it's from, um, an ITV news report, um, late, a lot later on. Um, I think it's done by, um, a journalist called Rohit Kashru and he's speaking to a resident, um, a man called, um, Raphael Spence, who lives in Smethwick now and has done for the whole time, um, since the sixties. Um, and so was kind of speaking on that history. Now, just for context, cause I didn't mention this before, Smethwick, was that seat um, in Britain um, and the MP was Peter Griffiths and he won that seat in 1964 from a Labour MP, um, which was quite unprecedented. Um, it's quite a working class area, Smethwick, and, you know, for them to, to pick this man who is a Conservative MP, um, but he ran on a kind of immigration ticket. He was anti-immigration. He played on the fears of white people in Smethwick and his actual campaign slogan was please excuse my language if you want a nigger for a neighbor vote labor so obviously the people didn't want black neighbors so what did they do they voted conservative and that's the whole reason why this kind of issue began to boil up because they had a conservative mp that was pandering to their racism and for their i don't know segregated society that they wanted or their little you know one token black and token asian on the street i thought it was interesting that, and you might find it interesting that I'm speaking about black and Asian quite, you know, in the same breadth, which I don't normally do because I don't like conflating different issues with different communities. But in the 60s, um, you know, Asian immigration was um, growing. It was a lot higher than it would have been in the 40s. And so I think, you know, these two groups were conflated together by racist people at the time. Um, and they were just seen as a big immigrant problem. It didn't really matter where you came from. It was just, we don't want people that aren't white, um, which is why you'll hear in maybe the clips I play or in more generally, 
when they refer to black people, they aren't just speaking about people we would refer to as black now, so like people from the Caribbean or Africa. They're referring to all people that aren't white. Black is an othering term, and it's why it's kind of seen as problematic sometimes, because it was just an umbrella term for everybody that wasn't white. Same for the word coloured, um, which obviously we don't use anymore. Thank goodness. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit of context on Marshall Street. You know, the situation was really quite problematic because this is this is coming to you know a political place peter griffiths is an mp this isn't just you know little random groups of racist people are kind of fighting it out this is you know going to be legislated the residents wanted a policy of asking the council they were asking the council for a policy of buying and reserving properties so they would buy up the properties on the house which when you think about it you know the conservatives are a little bit more right-leaning so surely they would not be wanting to um, control the market, you know, free market economics. Um, they are more on that side as opposed to Labour who are more left. Um, you know, why Why would they buy up houses on the street? Um, that goes against, you know, the idea of, you know, you earn your money, you afford the house that you want. Um, and so, yeah, their, their policy was to buy up the houses and save them for white families and only let white families move into them. Even though, you know, who... Who gave the council money to buy and reserve houses for just white people? Um, but that is literally what they wanted to do. And so within this whole context, um, we have a man called Avtar Singh Jol, who is from the Indian Workers Association. He's had enough and he invites Malcolm X to come to Birmingham to look at the sorry state of affairs on Marshall Street and in Smithwick. So, as I mentioned before, Avtar Singh Joel, he was um, a member of the Indian Workers Association um, and he, you know, and, you know, other members of the association were kind of really worried um, about the plans of Smethwick Council and, you know, Peter Griffiths and his ideas in regards to this policy that we spoke about of the council buying properties and not letting black and Asian people buy or rent them. Um, it was really worrying because this is, you know, a place that people were happy to live in. They had decided that they would settle there. I'm sure their children might have been in schools in the area. And then the fact that they now can't buy houses or continue to rent them um, because the council were going to start buying them up um, was extremely worrying um, for a lot of people. Um, and it's one of those issues that doesn't necessarily just impact black people or just impact Asian people. It impacts kind of all non-white people um, and all people that aren't deemed as British and are deemed as adding to this problem of the quote unquote coloured invasion. Um, and so, yeah, Malcolm X is invited now, I couldn't find, like, I've listened to interviews um, with Avtar Singh Jewel, who, you know, he just says, yeah, I invited him. I don't know how that correspondence occurred, but I am led to believe that this issue in Smedic, it wasn't a small thing. You know, it was a kind of a national story. Um, it was garnering a lot of interest and people knew about it. So Malcolm X was aware of the situation before, you know, he was told that this was happening. And I think that really speaks to the kind of global nature of black liberation movements um, and this idea that, you know, it's not just the fact that in your country as a black person you're suffering. It's about the fact that there are other black people and Asian people as well in this case in other countries are also suffering because of similar policies that you are suffering under. And, you know, Malcolm X decided to use his platform and his voice to do something about that. So he was invited to Birmingham 
Peter Griffiths, the MP, he was like, no, he needs to be banned. He's not to come. And remember, Malcolm X is seen as quite the radical. Um, at that time, this is 1965, it's actually nine days before he was assassinated. It's one of his last TV appearances he does in his life, which is even more, I think, poignant and crazy to me that, you know, nine days before he was assassinated in New York, um, he was in Birmingham walking up and down Marshall Street. Um, but, you know, that's how, how it's how it's happened and that's how the story goes. So Peter Griffiths calls for him to be banned. It's obviously unsuccessful. I would say it's probably because at that point in Malcolm X's life, he has um, moved away with his alignment with the Nation of Islam. You know, he's still Muslim and practising as a Muslim and believes in the beliefs and values of Islam. But he's not part of the Nation of Islam anymore, which was one of the reasons for his controversy. I mean, any black person fighting for the liberation of black people at that time was seen as controversial and radical. But I think the fact that he you know, went there anyway, um, despite obviously being asked not to and people trying to ban him you know um when he visited i think local papers in smethwick um the smethwick telephone and the warley courier said he was an unexpected and largely unwelcomed guest so you know as much as we're shocked that malcolm x went to smethwick the papers were shocked too and i think maybe that lends itself to this idea that people at the time and those people in power and maybe white people within that society didn't really realize how disgusting their actions were maybe can I say that can I extend that grace to them I don't I don't really believe that I think they maybe knew what they were doing um but obviously I can't speak for their deepest and darkest thoughts um but I think this idea that the policy wasn't that outrageous you know they were just saying oh we just we just want a few people on on the street we don't want it overrun by black and brown people um I think that's where that kind of came from this idea of him being you know unexpected um but I think, again, as I said, it speaks to the kind of global nature of, of black liberation movements. Um, yeah, he spent most of his time on Marshall Street. You know, he was there to visit Smethwick more widely, but he spent most of the time there. He gave press interviews, um, TV interviews. A lot of the interviews he actually did on the day for the cameras, um, they didn't actually make it to being published. Um, I don't know if that was because they wanted to silence the things that Malcolm had to say. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. He didn't mince his words, um, but, you know, they're written down. Um, but the documentary by Steve Page, I believe, has clips in it. Um, again, if anybody knows how you can watch that, please let me know. Um, but, yeah, he told reporters um, one of the things he said was that I've come here because I'm disturbed by reports that coloured people in Smethwick are being treated, are being badly treated. I have heard they are being treated as the Jews under Hitler. I would not wait for the fascist element in Smethwick to erect gas ovens. Now, that's a lot. The comparison um, to Hitler and the situation um, in Nazi Germany in, you know, the build-up to World War II and during World War II um, is, is a lot, to say the least. I don't really like historical comparisons. I think they can be quite counterproductive and take away from other previous movements or struggles or um you know events however this comparison i think it speaks volumes because it's a cultural ref a cultural reference a historical reference that people would have definitely been aware of um you know it's only 1965 at the time so people were alive in the war they they knew the horrors of war and the kind of part of nazi germany and so the fact that he has made this comparison 
um, is huge. It's quite big. He even said um, that he thought the um, racism in the situation um, in Birmingham and in Smethwick was worse than the United States, um, which, you know, we often, as I've said many times on this podcast, we always compare um, and look to America and, and people in Britain often say, you know, you know, it's not as bad as America, you know, wouldn't like to be black there, it's really bad there. Um, well, you know, Malcolm X, who <laughs> has probably seen firsthand how bad America can be. Um, and just to give context on Malcolm X, I haven't actually talked about him as the person, um, probably taking for granted that you already know a little bit about him. Um, but I will say a fun fact is well, it's not actually fun it's not fun in any way shape or form I should not have used that word but um interesting fact is the fact that his dad um and his mom were actually garveyites and garveyites are people who follow um in kind of the movement of marcus garvey marcus garvey was quite a well-known pan-africanist i'm saying quite well known like one of the most famous um and influential pan-africanists um to ever walk this earth um he is jamaican and he had a kind of idea that Africans needed to go back to Africa. He was born, actually, um, a lot, way before Malcolm X. He was born, I believe, in 1887, and he died in 1940. So, as you can imagine, he was alive a long time before Malcolm X. Um, and his ideas as I said you know he's a pan-Africanist he believed Africa um, was for Africans and Africans should make a point to go back and obviously not just Africans obviously living in Africa but those who were part of the diaspora so whether they were in the Caribbean in America in Britain um, you know it was a time to, to go back he started um, the UNIA the Universal Negro Improvement Association and um Within that movement, um, he was kind of working to literally get the capital and the physical ships um, to start repatriating um, African people back to Africa. Um, and so that kind of idea is, I would say, a good foundation and basis for um, even the civil rights movements in America, because Malcolm X's parents were Garveyites. They were um, his dad was killed um, by um a racist terrorist group called the Black Legion um, who were located in the area that he was working in and he was kind of organising in him being, you know, Malcolm X's dad and his mom. Um, they were kind of really staunch Garveyites um, and also, of course, very influential on Malcolm X, but both his parents died um, when he was quite young and so he then has to kind of fend for himself. He finds himself in poverty, he finds himself in prison. Um, and then, you know, the life of Malcolm X, kind of as we know him, launches. Um, but just to give you that context, I think it really just hammers home that point of black liberation movements, number one, are not created in a vacuum, thanks to Angela Davis for her, her um, quote there, but also the fact that um, they are part of a global movement and they are, we are, um, even within this moment, um, as I would say, being in an era of Black Lives Matter, we are still influenced by movements that have gone before, um, whether they have been in this country or in the Caribbean, in Africa or in America. 
Um, and so I feel like it would be disingenuous to ever look at one kind of movement for the liberation or equality for black people without looking at ones that came before it. And I think the story of Malcolm X, his upbringing, his parents, and then him coming to Marshall Street in Birmingham really summarises and highlights those intricacies in the narratives. But anyway, back to the story of, of when Malcolm X was in Birmingham, because I'm sure that's what you're here for. Um, so, yeah, one of the members of the association um, had picked him up from the airport and brought him to that said street, Marshall Street, as we have said so many times today. Um, you know, there were people gathered there, um, obviously very expectant, but then also at the same point, not many people knew that he was coming. I mean, I think I would think looking back, you know, he would have drawn a huge crowd but then, as we've mentioned, you know, Marshall Street, um, white people at the time were trying to keep it as white as possible. So I don't think the kind of demographical population were there. Also, um, this is coming as a bit of an interlude, but I was fortunate enough to see a play um, in 2019, Black History Month. Yeah, not last year, the year before. And that play was directed by John Morris um, and a man called um, Paul Magson wrote it. Um, and the play was like really simple. It was a really small cast and it basically looked at the perspective of I think it was three people on the day that Malcolm X came and in the build up. It had like a character from kind of every racial group. So it had um, an Asian character, um, a white character and a black character. And I don't want to go too much into the, the plot of the play because um, it's not really what we're talking about. But the thing that really struck me, there were two things. First of all, was when it, we were looking at the black um, character, there was like, um, I think she was a young girl and she was speaking of like kind of her fear, the fear that her parents, um, I think it was her mom, put on her. Um, knowing that Malcolm X was coming, like, you know, you don't want to kind of associate yourself with this radical man. You don't want to go out there and listen to him. You don't want to, you know, be seen in the same company as him because of the fear of what, you know, that might do once he's gone, um, being one of the only black families on the street. Um, and then it, it was the same. The white character was a young boy and he obviously didn't really know who Malcolm X was, um, um, and his kind of reaction to it all. And then, um, yeah, it was a really good play. And I got to see In Smethwick, which was really interesting, a bit mind-blowing, because I'm literally in Smethwick watching a play about Smethwick, something crazy and insane as Malcolm X coming to Smethwick. And I didn't know about it before then, this point. Um, my mom had actually seen the play at another venue in Birmingham, and then it had done, like, a rerun, um, and we managed to get tickets to see it, like, in Smethwick for the, like, last show or something. But anyway, another point that I want to make about this play um, is the reason I know about this story, to be honest, um, is at the end, because I think it was the last performance, or they might have had it for all the shows, they had a Q&A with the writer, and, like, this man just stood up. No, it was, an, it was an, a young, yeah, a young man, I think, or a young woman, um, a black woman, and... She just stood up and she had this like elderly woman next to her and she was like, yeah, my mum lived on Marshall Street um, when Malcolm X was here. And then the woman just started telling us about <laughs> when Malcolm X was there and like, the playwright had no idea that he was going to have people in his audience that were literally living on Marshall, Marshall Street at the time. And it was so, so good to hear what they had to say um, about that day. Um, and I have a clip I'm going to play from um, a man that, he lived on Marshall Street at the time, but he was only young, and he was saying that, yeah, Malcolm X spoke to his mom. He was like, I don't know what they would... Oh, actually, let me not ruin it. Let me play the clip for you. 
I was just a nipper. My parents just come from Jamaica. And um, he was outside the house talking to my old lady. He spoke to your mum? Yeah. Well, I can't remember what I was talking about because obviously I was young, but I spoke to my old lady because, as I said, my dad was the first black to buy a house on this road. Part of me just felt like that was as insane hearing that as well as it was hearing the, I think it was a lady, um, talk about, you know, yeah, she kind of looked out her window and Malcolm X was there. It's just crazy because we put, I think we do put American civil rights um, leaders on quite a large pedestal, even in this country. And especially back then when they were actually like living and speaking and breathing civil rights and black liberation constantly. Um, but yeah, I just just feel like, you know, when history just comes full circle and it's just like, oh my goodness, like these are the lives of real people that are living generations on today through us, through people we see, you know, in our streets, in our areas. And yeah, that I'm geeking out here. That really did blow my mind. I can't lie to you. Um, so, yeah, um, the rest of the day, Malcolm X spent in Smethwick. You know, obviously he spoke to reporters, he spoke to people. Um, he passed his comments, we've mentioned before, on Smethwick, but he also went to the pub. Now, you know, I feel like in this pandemic, I have truly, truly learned how much English people love the pub. Because the first question post lockdown number one was when are the pubs opening? And every time, you know, I've heard of like a breach, um, for the m most part anyway, of like COVID laws in near where I live anyway, it's literally been, oh yeah, it was a pub that was opening past the time or it was a pub that was doing this. And just this idea that like, I just didn't realise the reliance that people had on pubs in this country. Um, but very interestingly, you know, Malcolm X went to the pub with Avatar Singh Jewel. This was obviously, you know, more to the point of, I want to show you how bad the situation is with a public house that's meant to be a relaxing place for people. This pub is even segregated and upholding a coloured bar. Now, you'll be thinking, you know, I don't know, in films or um, references to America where you'll see coloured signs that say whites only, coloured user back entrance, or you're being served at a different bar, or, you know, this was happening in Smethwick. And so, um, advertising Jewel, he said, I'm, I'm taking Malcolm X to the pub. And he took him specifically to the pub that he knew where this practice was happening. And obviously, they both went in, a black and an Asian man, into the white pub. And the woman was like, we're not serving him here. We're going to serve you round the back. Um, go to the other bar. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm sure she didn't speak like that. But, you know, she's a racist. Um, so, I really do not care how she spoke. Um, but yeah, so she was asked, she asked them to obviously go around the back. They were given different glasses to the white patrons. The white people had one type of glass and Asian and black people had a different type of glass. Um, and I think also barbershops were another place that, um, segregation was very clear. Um, some white barbers would just straight up refuse to cut Asian or black men's hair. Um, and I think Avtar Singh Jewel in, in interviews, he's spoken a lot about that, being literally thrown out of barbershops or them saying to him, we're closed and they're not closed because they're cutting hair and they're like, oh, well, we're closed to you. Um, and that was exactly the way that um, black and Asian people were being treated in Smethwick at the time um, and in other areas in, of Birmingham and nationally. So, you know, this isn't just a story about Smethwick, although we are speaking specifically about Smethwick. Um, so, yeah, I just found it very interesting that we have this incredible orator leader of civil rights movement in Birmingham and yes it is shocking you know Birmingham is an exceptional place amazing 
I would recommend it. But to have him, you know, in Birmingham, specifically looking at issues of housing, and he did spend most of that day talking about issues pertaining to housing, whilst, you know, there were obviously issues with segregation in other aspects of um, life, housing was the focus. And I just find it firstly very interesting with this narrative is the fact that it was Indian Workers Association that called him over um, and looked after him when he came. Um, But also he wasn't necessarily just here for Indian people. He was here for those people that were going to be fall victim to those racist policies. Also, obviously, we can't really finish this without mentioning Pete Griffiths, um, who was a a conservative councillor at the time, who was trying to push in all these policies on his, you know, racist and anti-immigrant ticket um, into power. He died actually quite recently, um, but he was kind of ostracised by um, the Prime Minister at the time. I think it was Harold Wilson. Please don't quote me on that. Um, But yeah, he was definitely um, kind of pushed out and those views weren't really tolerated whilst people might have thought them the kind of audacity of him to actually say something like you know if you want an n-word for a neighbor vote labor absolutely um unheard of well kind of um and so yeah he was obviously supported by those people that supported those um, policies and he was who he was pandering to um but for the majority he wasn't really um supported so much which is i guess um some comfort um but yeah unfortunately Malcolm X was assassinated nine days later um in New York and I guess the story in some ways ends there but in many ways it doesn't because the influence um, and the inspiration that he has had um on so many people globally um is obviously well known and well understood um but that is everything that I have to give you for this episode um the first one in our little America meets the UK black history edition um of of black history month in the u.s for 2021 so thank you so much for listening um i hope we'll be back here next week listening to episode two in this little mini series um have a wonderful week or a wonderful day um whenever you're listening thank you so much for tuning in please like share subscribe um follow us on the relevant platforms instagram twitter we're on linkedin um the podcast is available on google Podcasts, spotify and apple so please feel free um, to tap into any of those. Um, Thank you so much. Have a great day.